Hi, I'm Jenny Graham. I'm the Opinion Pages editor at the Tulsa World, and I'm with my friend, Barry Friedman, local who, comedian. Who uh, is a blogger and comedian and writer and uh, gadfly and whatever else. He's a man with lots of opinions. I think most yes. of them liberal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, most overwhelmingly liberal. liberal, or we, as we like to call them, sane. Sane. Anyway, but we are going to talk about something that we both agree on, and really... Anytime I think you get writers together, um, book banning, this is our trigger, is it not? It is. I mean, it's just, I I get really upset about it. I wrote about it last Sunday. I I know you did. Let me just say, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to kick it off by, I actually looked up and I didn't put this in the Sunday column, how many book challenges there have been, and it's been, been very significant. So in 2019, the American Library Association found 377 challenges. Last year, there were 1,600 challenges. And then PEN America was something similar. They tracked in an eight-month time period, um, something between July and March, you know, in 86 districts, school districts, you know, 1,145 book challenges. Almost all of them have to do with race sexuality, LGBTQ, and almost all of them are written by people of color. And Oklahoma is fourth in the nation behind Texas, Pennsylvania, and Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ramped up. So this I found interesting. It was a, um, it was a Steve Bannon quote in Politico last June. You're going to start with it, a Bannon quote? Steve Bannon quote. Well, you know, he's sort of the, the right-wing extreme architect, is he not? I mean, this is... He is. He's there. And so they asked him about, you know, these Moms for Liberty, these groups that are popping up. And he said, I look at this and say, hey, this is how we're going to win. Which indicates to me, this is not about protecting children. This is not about indoctrination. This is about a wedge issue and creating a platform for extremism. That's how I read that. I agree. It's ignorant, calculating and cynical, and that's a bad combination, and that runs Oklahoma these days. Mm-hmm. So, so I know that. I mean, Oklahoma. We, I mean, Tulsa Public Schools are being accused of having pornography in libraries, which I find hilarious. Considering, like, my son never went to the library. Maybe if they had more like naked pictures of women in there, it would have. Maybe we should do that. Like, just. Like everyone else just put a Playboy in there, just like where's Waldo? Maybe get more teenage boys to give the library. I know but I no. ask a silly question, but uh-huh. what proof have they ever offered other than saying it 45,000? There times? were two titles of that Ryan Walters found on the catalog online that he disagreed with and then others disagreed with. Both of them had to do with being gay. They were both graphic novels. So the problem were, or is, for a lot of people who are against it, are the images, which, and when you think about it, and one of the images and one of the, the, the graphic novels was about, you know, a teenager who's coming to terms with being gay. And the image was about, was based on a, from a Greek urn, you know, those ancient etchings yeah. on walls that are pretty graphic. So in this graphic novel, they took that and like recreated it and it showed, a, you know, a man and what appeared to be a young boy in this, you know, hieroglyphic kind of thing. And that was 
enough. In what you think about it, it's just well, it's kind of like we were talking earlier. You know, when Tennessee banned a uh, school district banned mouse, which was about the Holocaust, but they were upset over naked pictures of mice. Right. We 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 teach active shooter drills. Yes. We sell bulletproof backpacks in Oklahoma. But we're worried about the psychological effects of an 11-year-old seeing two women kiss. That's what right. we worry about. And the sexuality of that is really the key. I mean, in Anne Frank, which wasn't really banned in that Texas school district, but it was pulled off the shelf because some people had a question about it. The question was the sexuality in Diary of Anne Frank. You have to really bypass Nazism and the Holocaust to get to the sexuality in Diary of Anne Frank. Well, but that's not unlike Senator Coburn when he was senator and they showed um, Schindler's List on air for the first time in primetime television. Remember, it was a big deal. They didn't have any ads. And I remember being in the newsroom and press releases coming in from Coburn's office saying how upset he was and this was horrible because of the nudity in Schindler's List. And I remember mm. that's that's what you got out of Schindler's List was the nudity. I, that's I why people know. saw the show because they thought there'd be full frontal female nudity. That was the draw to Schindler's yeah. List. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that, I still am perplexed by that. Um, but, you know, it does make, make me think that there was, a, you know, I found a, a pretty powerful essay that I missed the first time around in the New York Times by an author who was, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the book, but he was talking about how he was disturbed by a book when he was a kid. He was a Viet, he was a son of Vietnamese immigrants. And this book was about, you know, Vietnam War and there were scenes of rape and, you know, killing. And he said he was, he was disturbed as a teenager because he felt like, oh, they're just dehumanizing us. I can't read this being done to my people. He said, I gave it back. And he goes, we didn't protest. We didn't want it to be pulled. We just, I just opted. I'm not going to read this. He said years later, he became a writer. Years later, he went back to that book. And when he read it again, he got the message he missed, which was it was an anti-war book, that it was about these white kids taken out of great home lives, put in war, and how it just stripped them of all humanity. And they did these horrible things because of what war did. And, and it's sort of like when you went back and changed it, and he used that as an example of why we shouldn't pull books, why we shouldn't censor things that make us uncomfortable because, and maybe he wasn't ready at the time when he first read it, but isn't that what literature is supposed to be? Like things that- You would think. You. That's the first rule of it. And uh, the arrogance of thinking the only thing that should be available is that which you find palatable. Who would make that claim? Who would actually sit here and tell you the only thing that can be read or that children can read is what I find palatable? The, the law itself in Oklahoma, 1142, says, let me just read it, uh, prohibits public school districts, public charter schools, and public school libraries from having or promoting books that address the study of sex, sexual preferences, sexual activity, sexual perversion, sexual based classifications, sexual identity, gender identity, or books that contain content of a sexual nature, this is the key part, that a reasonable parent or legal guardian would want 
to know about or prove before their child was exposed to it. Are you a reasonable parent? Am I? I was saying that that tripped me up. Like I've been around a lot of parents and that's, you know, there's a whole fallacy in this whole idea of parents know best. Cause I know I'm a reasonable parent. Maybe not according to the bill. If you don't want (laughs) these books pulled. I know. And, And you know, that's the thing. And I know some, some of the parents that are really into having, they want permission for all, for their teenagers to read everything. And I'm like, I'm just happy if my teenagers are reading things. I mean, can we stop banning book and pulling books? Let's get them to read a book. I mean, it's, it's not like, Marquis de Sade, let them read it. It's just like, well, you know, I will say that in looking back at like the books that changed me, and I'm interested to know what books that changed you, because the the early one for me was Mary Shelley, Frankenstein. And I've read it several times in my life and I get something different each time. And maybe it was because it was a woman writing it and she was, and it was science fiction and she just had a different take on the idea of parenthood and, you know, this idea of being the outsider. And that sort of changed me. And I I enjoyed that, that metaphor that went throughout. But the second one was in college and I haven't read it since then. I want to read it again which was Uncle Tom's Cabin, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Mm-hmm. And the thing that got me at the time, and it still resonates with me, is there's a character, a preacher in there, kind of a an, you know, very popular you know, preacher who was using um, biblical, the Bible, to justify mm-hmm. slavery. So in, and so she would have these passages of him giving a sermon. And I remember reading this and like going to a Bible to say, is that really in there? And it's really in there. It was the first time I had seen a character or an author use that. That we all agree now, slavery is bad, right? Well, why was it allowed to happen? Because influential white preachers were using a holy book to justify it. And so even now, when I hear these passages being used from the Bible to justify anti-LGBTQ, you're, we're seeing it, the anti-Semitism's on the rise. I mean, we're seeing that in Oklahoma with a guy who won first in a Republican primary using using his Christian Bible to justify his anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish rants. And so to me, that's what that literature brought me. It's also now on a lot of uh, ought to be banned books, Uncle Tom's Cabin, because there's a lot of racism in there. I mean, there's just, it, it is, but that's the point. That is the point. In that time as an, as an anti-racist book, but she had to show what was going on to get to that. I I was uh, moved and and formed. Let's start with Philip Roth. Okay. And when you read Roth, as you get older and move away from it, you you realize the benefit of unreliable narrators, mm-hmm. and you learn something from people who tell you a story which is not accurate, but it's their life, it's their objectivity, it's their subjectivity. And that you learn how people view the world, that actually teaches you some tolerance. When people look at the same thing, two separate ways, who's right, who's wrong, and it's they're both accurate. My, you asked about my books earlier. Mm-hmm. When I wrote the book about my son, four days and a year later, uh, and he died, and my daughter finally read the book, and I told her that neither one of my ex-wives at the time uh, was going to read the book, were going to read the book. They were both in it, 
And she said, the reason they're not going to read it is not because it's tough to get through. She goes, even though it is, is that because you took the story, the narrative is now yours. And they both have narratives of that weekend that Paul died. That's now, that's, a, that's an interesting insight. Now, when you read any literature, certainly any nonfiction, certainly any coming of age nonfiction, right. you're going to get narrators who you will not agree with. And you may actually find wrong, but it's their narration. It's their life. And that's where literature comes from, those perspectives. You, 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 you smother those perspectives. You don't let people into those perspectives. Then all you get is the one perspective that somebody wants. And do we really want to raise children in Oklahoma because Ryan Walters is offended by some hieroglyphics on a wall that's been recreated in a book? And if we're not wanting that, how do you fight that? What do you do with that? We, Where's the common ground? We'll give you flowers of the killer more. You give us back Anne Frank. Do we really want to do that now? And that's the scary part is right now we have a lot of, of self-censoring because of House Bill 1775, which we went over last week that it's just, it's bad. I mean, that people are scared to even broach these tough topics in what is a very diversified world, a nation. Um, and I think, that, and it's just a fear, obviously. What but you said- got at a point- that I thought is interesting, which is why why do authors write books? And because at, at the heart of it is a thought, a book is an idea. And when you're wanting to erase a book, pull a book, you're wanting to erase that idea. You're wanting to pull that idea. You don't want anyone else to hear this idea. So I've not written a books like, like you have. I mean, you've written biographical things, you've written fictional things. You know, I know that like when I read among my one of my favorite authors is Neil Gaiman. Just love him. And he he said the reason he started writing books is because no one else was writing the stories he wanted to read, so he wrote them. Why do why did you write books? I mean, what motivates writers to do that? Well, I mean the, the least attractive motivation is the Love me, love me, love me. That's what you're, <laughs> you're all ego. <laughs> but after that, you do hope, and it is a hope, that your vision of whatever this world is will be interesting enough for people to read. People will care about it. And if it's autobiographical, that's even more of a challenge because autobiography, either A, if you're rich and famous, people will read anything. Mm-hmm. If you've been kidnapped and escaped from Afghanistan, people will read that. But if you're neither of those two things, they will read your autobiography. They'll read anything if it's well-written. So the goal is, how do I make this interesting enough for people who don't know me? When I started stand-up comedy, I thought, I'm going to do stand-up comedy. Stand in front of people I don't know for 45 minutes and make them laugh. These are not people I know. This is not a barbecue. Nobody knows me here. So I'm going to talk about my father. We're living in Oklahoma. How do I do that? And that's a challenge. And that's why we do it, to see if actually our voice, our take, as unreliable a narrator as I am, will be interesting. Will anybody get anything out of it? And yeah, there's a lot of ego attached to that. It's not, um, 
something you do just for the love of it. You do want to be a writer. I mean, there's nothing greater to me than be called, hey, he's a writer. He's a comedian. That's it. That was it. What do you want to be when you grow up? A writer. I had a job once at, at, at the Performing Arts Center and I got a business card and, and they asked me, what do you want on this business card? You want associate director of marketing? I said, no, can I just have writer? They said, you just want writer? Yes, that's all I've ever wanted. So that's why we do it. You want your voice out there. You want people to discuss things you are bringing. That's what Facebook posts are all about. Everybody wants, look at me, look at me, look at me grieve, look at me lose weight, look at me lose a job, look at me get a job. This is my world. Please come into my world. And you take that away from people because you don't like their world. Okay, move on to somebody else. We don't like your world. But for one person to make that determination yeah. in, in, a, in schools is, is a bad idea. Well, right. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the banned books, and I was looking at the, the most challenged books. I call them banned because that's essentially what's trying to be done. But almost all of them have to, they're autobiographical. So, like, there's one flamer that's uh, Mike Corrado. It's a graphic novel based on his own experiences as coming to terms as a, as a gay teenager. And the, the language is, is crude. It's vulgar. It's rough. But you know what? They're teenage boys. I mean, they're crude and rough. And they, you know, all these things. Uh, gender queer is another top one. Again, has images. And it has to do with gender fluidity, which is even harder, I think, for some people to get. But, and I think it helps, it helps young kids try to figure out their world. And frankly, young kids just view sexuality differently than our generation, than any before. They just don't, they're, you know, in my day, you would almost have these categories. You're gay, you're straight, you are, you know, now it's sort of, you know, non-binary and in these different things that it's just not an issue. And for me, when I read that literature, it's not so much freaking me out, it's helping me understand them because their views are different and this literature out there is, is, I think it helps those kids find that they're not alone, but also I think it shows that, you know, this is the, the, the change we're seeing. And for people who don't get it or reject it or want to use their Bible to justify it, well, that's your world. You have your literature that you want to go to and feel comforted by. Let these kids have this. And right. It doesn't affect you. I mean, to think that you're going to get everything out there, that's the whole idea of, of, of books, right? It introduces you to worlds you don't know. Right. But, you know, the, but to be fair, because this is coming from the extreme right, you know, Ryan Walters is now telling everyone at a talking point that he's the education secretary saying that there's pornography in schools, which, I mean, pornography, I mean, that's, that's that's a whole different ball game. That's and it's a lie. With one of the it's titles, he called it like which title was it? I think it was gender queer. He called it disgusting, and then the school board member, Dr. Griffin, called it you know dirt filth. It's like okay, so what does that tell a kid who's transgender? What does that tell a kid who's dealing with stuff that they're dirty and filthy? You know, I I, I just reject that. But to be fair. You know, it's not just the extreme right that has gone down this. The extreme left has done this too, where they're wanting to remember the Tom Sawyer, or was it Huckleberry Finn? They wanted to rewrite to take out all the N-word references, which is a lot. It's like 200 references. Mm -hmm. um, gone with the wind. You know, there's a lot of just overt racism in there. 
To Kill a Mockingbird, the right. And to me, I reject that just as just as much because both sides. This though, yes. Okay. The left. The left is uh, linguistically annoying (laughs) much of the time. Linguistically annoying. Okay. Yes, they're picking the wrong fights sometimes. We are giving the right ammunition about, yeah, you do it too. We don't do it too. That was unfortunate. Tom Sawyer gone with the wind. We are talking on the right about literally reshaping how kids will read. And what right. But I, I do want to be fair because people will say, well, where were you? And I go, I reject that. I just want to be on record that I think, you know, Mark Twain's, you know, pieces should be there unaltered as well for the same reasons. You know, it's it's a time capsule. It shows things. So, no, I, I agree that the right, I mean, this is much more um, systemic, planned. It's an attack where the Tom Sawyer and To Kill a Mockingbird, that kind of stuff, but it does pop up. Let's and, make a, let's make a trade right no. now. I said not to make a trade, we'll make a trade. You can have Tom Sawyer and Gone with the Wind, leave everything else alone, all right? We'll call it a day. Call Ryan get, Walter, see if he'll make the deal. I'll, I'll save it all. But now we're getting, but it's also, but it, what it is, it's modern literature too. It's Killers of the Flower Moon that, why would you not teach that? Because someone will feel bad about themselves? Because they might find out that their great great grandfather had a hand in, you know, killing, or at least yeah, or at least uh, embezzling money from a tribe. It could be eleven forty two and seventeen seventy five and the abortion bills and it's really all connected. If we can control what people are taught, are consuming, yeah, we we can control what comes next, which is the questioning of authority, which, let me be cynical, that's what this is about. We don't want an informed public. We don't want kids asking questions. We don't want to normalize behavior that we find, say we, that we find abhorrent. Well, who are we, as you say? So you make some kid who's who's who has questions about his sexuality feel bad. Why? What do you get out of that? Where is the goal for Ryan Walters to say this is filthy? I don't want people thinking that homosexuality is accepted. You think homosexuality ends because you don't find it acceptable? So what are you getting out of making all those children feel awful about themselves? That's just cruelty. That's not policy. That's not something you can negotiate. Let's trade. That's just awful, arrogant, cynical, cruel policy. And we need to call it out for what it is. And that's, to me, is what it is. Well, and it also, you know, there's another side of it is it makes our kids ignorant. I mean, we're sending our kids out into a world that you think that everything ends at the lines of Oklahoma. If you want your kid to be successful in business or whatever it is, they're probably going to meet a gay person or you know, a transgender person or other people. And if you and if we keep kids away from all the things that can explain different backgrounds and cultures and histories, then they're going to be completely ill-prepared and they're not, we're setting them up for failure. 
Or worse, they become the spawns. They become the people who then go out and say, you're wrong, you're evil. I taught that you people are sick and disgusting. But here's the thing. The demographics are quickly changing. Right now in Tulsa County, among five-year-olds, among five-year-olds, 51% of children are of a racial or ethnic minority. That's getting to be the norm. There will be no majority in America in the next few decades. So we have to deal with the differences among ourselves. And to me, and maybe because I'm a lover of books, I think literature is the best way to explain this. A lot of other things on the banned books have to do with um, like sexual assaults. Like you'll remember Toni Morrison has scenes in her books where there's a child molestation. There are rapes. There, one banned book on here, uh, there's a girl that gets harassed, you know, she's with racial epitaphs and sexual epitaphs. These things happen. And I would much, much rather my kids read about it, discuss it, know it's there than to experience it. You know, I mean, that's, you know, or have to, or be in a relationship with someone who's gone through this and not understand what happens in the aftermath of someone who's gone through this trauma. To me, it's where you can find out these type of things. And but that's not their goal. The right's goal is not that discovery. And it seems to me, the shorthand is if sex is mentioned, homosexuality is mentioned, the right immediately assumes it's being promoted as opposed to this is my life. I. I, at 13 or 14, discovered I was homosexual. This is my story. This is my life. This is the graphic sex I had at 17, 18, 19. Now, again, if you, if you, if that abhors you, if you think that's disgusting and you don't want to read it, then don't read it. Nowhere in that memoir is that person, I can guarantee you, saying, this is good. We should all do this. As if homosexuality is such a wonderful place to be in America, who wouldn't want to be there? Because mm-hmm. nothing happens to them, right? They don't get discriminated against. Come on, be one of us. It's crazy to think that's the goal of any sexual, uh, any book that has any sexual content about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So why is the right pushing a get back on that? Is it just Puritan sexual heebie-jeebies? What, what is that about? I, I, I'm not pushing for that, but I do have a problem with the word indoctrination. Can we take a minute to just talk about the word indoctrination? I, you know, this is not, it, it's like you're, like you're talking about. No one's trying to promote someone change. And indoctrination is, it, it's, it's Nazism. It's, you know, we're going to have you know, the Hitler youth, that's indoctrination. It's these schools complete, you know, frankly, religious schools are indoctrinating to a certain degree. They're teaching their brand of faith, whatever it is. Now, it might be a faith I completely agree with, but there's a lot of faith out there that I don't. Right. So, so I don't, you know, so when I hear things like we need to teach our kids Christian values, I'm like, whoa, wait, what Christian values are we talking about? Because there's a lot out there that are not my Christian values. And, and so I, I can't stand the word indoctrination because it of where it comes from, but it implies some sort of evil doing. And that's just not happening there. I mean, people don't read a book 
for that reason. I mean, when you hear you know indoctrination, what? what goes through your mind? When you hear, oh, someone's indoctrinating a youth, what goes through your mind, Barry? Oh, it's it's exactly what you say it is. This is an agenda I want you to follow, and this is the uh, manipulation I will get you to follow it. And I'm not, I don't, I don't see that in any of these books on these lists. Do I see that? You know what book's not on the list? I've not seen on any banned list or any pulled list. You know what book's what? not on the list? What? Mein Kampf. I, yes, I know. No, yeah, or so the Turner who, Diaries. So, the who, Diaries. so who would ban or pull Dario Van Frank and leave Mein Kampf? Hitler would do that. Now, granted, I don't think Mein Kampf is in like Booker T. Washington's library. Like, I don't think that's available there. So Should. I don't believe in banning books. I do believe that the school librarians choose titles that correspond with what kids are wanting at the time of what corresponds with the curriculum. So if my, now I could see mine comp or at least passages working its way into say an AP history curriculum to understand how the rise of Nazism. So if you are wanting to learn about the rise of Nazism, you really do have to go back and say, where did this originate? Well, it originated with this book. I mean, Oklahoma City bombing, they were inspired by the Turner Diaries. Is that banned? Is that pulled? I don't is think that it's available. I know, I know some people who have copies of it for the, for the same reason, which is intellectual curiosity to like, how does, what did this say that would inspire these people? And are there 11th and 12th graders sophisticated enough to be able to tackle the origins of that in the Turner Diaries and my Kampf? I think there are some. I think there are some very bright kids that can handle that. And that's the thing that also bothers me underlying this is this, this assumption that you can't handle it, that it's too, they can. I mean, there are some, I mean, our kids are dealing with a lot. They are dealing with you know, I think I wrote, I wrote about it last weekend where, you know, they're worried about getting killed in schools with gunfire. They are, they've lived with war and trauma and terrorism. They can handle reading, they can know, handle that my they, two dads. They can handle that Anne Frank has breasts and a vagina. You're absolutely right. That's the least of their worries. Right. They can handle a lot. And I think they ask a lot of questions. And Sometimes a teacher is better off saying, you know what, I may not have all the answers, but here are some titles that you can, you, you might want to look at. Here are some things that let's talk about this, your worldview versus their worldview. It's like you're talking about. It's a perspective. It's You call it an unreliable narrator, but it's really just a different view of something. They're, you're not getting the full story. You're getting this, this one view of the story. Well, Hitler was an unreliable narrator when it came oh, yes. to the okay. of Jews. But I think in a situation like that, a teacher could call a parent and say, look, this is not on the curriculum. I don't assign this. Your son or daughter has this incredible interest uh, and sophistication about this topic. I think he or she would benefit from reading this book, which is very controversial. What do you think? Right. And some, yeah. And I think that can happen and should happen. To blanketly say that no student should be able to read this because I am offended about my two dads or whatever the story is. Again, we'll go back to the arrogance of that. Yeah. Right. Who would decide? Who would, who would say, I am the arbiter of that? 
how much does this get into the idea of free speech, though? We talk about the censoring of literature. Doesn't this also get into this idea of free speech? That there are there are movements to ban hate speech or to ban extremist speech. And I've always been very nervous about that too, because um, I think once you go down that road, like I say, where does it that end? That's, that is the problem. When do you say enough is enough? And I think a case by case basis, I don't know if you can have a blanket policy on banned books for high school students. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can have certain guidelines and I think you should have these guidelines and there are times parents should be involved in those guidelines, but it's like involving parents in, in dermatology decisions. We don't always know the answer. You go to a doctor and say, I don't know, you tell me, that's why I'm here. And teachers and, 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 and educators, they're professionals. They know more about teaching and schools and childhood development than parents do. Mm -hmm. And we should honor that. I mean, right. this well, notion that we know as much as any other professional. Because right. well, and, and let's face it, there are just some bad parents out there. I mean, they're just, you know, parents that are just not. Well, and some of this literature deals with bad parents. I mean, you know, my husband is a teacher. And at one point he was teaching a school and he was dealing with some teenagers, great group of kids. There were two of them that were debating pretty openly whether they should drop out of school to join a gang with their parents. So, I mean, the idea that all parents have it together. No, we have parents who are on meth. We have parents who are, I mean, there are some very good parents, very involved, but then you've got a group of kids who yeah. this literature resonates because they're living it. They, you know? Those parents couldn't tell you what PTA stood for. So exactly. And, you know, the, so that's the, you know, when I hear, Parents know best. I'm like, not all parents. Some parents are not, you know, there's extremes, you know, they're in gangs and selling drugs and you've got some that are just absent or they're mentally ill or whatever. So, you know, the idea that this is an Aussie and Harriet world is just not there. And I think the literature now is reflecting that because for so long, our literature has been, you know, Hemingway. It's been white and male. And I look at Hemingway and I'm like, I cannot, I, I won't with him because he's just toxic masculinity. I do not like Hemingway. I will screen that. So now we have all of these people of color and LGBTQ and you know ethnic people writing their experiences. And it's got that kind of traditionalist freaked out. And the you know, it's that loss of power. The world is cracked open and it's mm -hmm. good that it's cracked open. So the, all those voices now can come up and we can hear those voices. Keep one other thing in mind. I was thinking about this. No corporation relocates to a state because they banned Dyer Van Frank. No company says, oh, good, you can't read Philip Roth in Tulsa in the 10th grade. Let's go there. Right. But they will not come because mm -hmm. states do that. Right. And you know, it's, and I was, you were talking about parents earlier. I was looking at the polling does not match this extremism. The C a CBS poll like a couple of months ago showed 87% um, reject the idea of book bans. And an American Library Association poll in March found 71% oppose book bans. But then when they, they talked to voters and parents, 90% of voters and 92% of parents 
said they had faith in the school librarians and librarians to make the right choices for their collections. So the majority of Americans reject this. And so we're being led by this very small extremist, these groups that are showing up at school boards. They are going online. Now there's a there's a law that wants all, or a proposed law, they want to force all the school districts to put their databases of materials online, which will make it easier for those, you know, tech warriors to look through and make challenges sight unseen. You know, any outsider can make a challenge to a book in the school because they found it online, which is what Ryan Walters did in TPS, by the way. It wasn't like he was at Memorial High School in the library and pulled the book. He found it online. So, you know, so that's what you're, we're dealing with. So, um, but I was a little, you know, like I say, I was happier to see that. You know, in the last few weeks, we've talked about abortion. We've talked about 1775. We've talked about 1142. We've talked about guns. So people where nobody's a one issue voter, those are four or five issues. When is it enough for people to say there's one party on the opposite side of everything I believe in, and they run this state. When is it enough to say, you know what, I'll change my party affiliation, even though I agree with them on taxes and immigration, or pick the issues, these four or five mean enough to me. And will that happen in Oklahoma? That's the key, because as you say, 90% of Americans are happy with their school boards and their librarians. Listen to Ryan Walters, does it sound like he's reflecting that? No, no. You know, when you talk about political parties, it almost kind of makes me think of religion. My grandfather, who is a Baptist, Southern Baptist deacon, uh, talking to his you know, Catholic granddaughter, he said, you know, there's no faith I agree 100% with. He goes, you just got to find one that you find the most you agree with and people you like and stick with it. And I always found that reassuring because he did not believe in everything that his church espoused. He was openly like, no, I don't agree with their stand on abortion. I don't agree with this. And he said, it's okay. And he was telling me it's okay. You can be whatever. And I feel like that with political parties sometimes that right. you have to sort of look at where do you most agree and you go with that. Or luckily we have independence. That's what I am. Because I, I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm voting for Republicans and Democrats because I was raised to vote on a person, not on a party. And I think the Republican Party is really at a crossroads at this point of, is it, a, is it it's the party of Trump at this point. It is and not the party of Lincoln, it's the party of Trump. And do you want to stay the party of Trump? And you and the litmus test is you must agree with all these principles to stay right, Republican. Right, that you have to agree wholly. And if you don't agree wholly, then you're somehow a rhino or kicked out. Well, what's going to, is how, how far are you going to go with that? And that's going to be something the party struggles with. Yeah, you can um, name pro-life Democrats, but you cannot name pro-choice Republicans. Again, this is not a both-sideism issue. Democrats have huge problems, but litmus test is not one of them. The litmus test is not one of them. Let me go back to your uh, your uncle, the Southern Baptist, is that right? Your father? My, my grandfather was a Southern Baptist. My rabbi asked him one time, did Jews believe in heaven? He said, well, Barry, uh, ask two Jews that question, you'll get three answers. <laughs> You know, I know we got to wrap this up, but I wanted to wrap it up with my favorite quote. And I, and I wrote it down because I want to make sure I quote it correctly because I always end up um, paraphrasing it. But 
in thinking about literature to me is, is almost, it's free speech. It's being able to speak freely in this idea of censoring or banning. And just as Brandeis famously said, if there be time to expose through discussion of falsehood and fallacies to avert the evil by the processes of education, the remedy be applied is more speech, not enforced silence. That I always love that because he's saying, you don't like hate speech, then talk more. You don't like this liberal speech, then talk more. Talking. And so to me, this whether, no matter what side it comes from, it's like you can't not let someone have their say. You can't not let someone have that book and that literature or let someone have a chance to read those ideas that more speech is always better than less and definitely in, in for silence. So that's, that's what I want to leave with. What, what words of wisdom do you want to leave with? Uh, I, I want to lead with there are certain issues you negotiate and certain issues you don't negotiate. And this is one of those I think is, is non-negotiable. Yeah. Yeah. I do not know if there's a common ground, a, a middle space for us and Ryan Walters to occupy, in part because he's not saying to you, all right, Ginny, what do we need? What do we do to, to resolve this issue? Because I'm tired of the emails and I'm tired of the phone calls. What do we need to do here? Nobody on the right is saying to anybody on the left, let's find comedy here. Right. We keep doing that. The left keeps looking for a reason to find humanity in some of these positions. And it's not there. I don't know. It's 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 really a dark, dark uh, thing out there. Yeah, it, it's an attempt to shut down ideas, and we can't allow that to happen. And I I am reassured that the majority of Americans agree with that. But we just have we need more and more people to speak to that because Jenny and, and Barry Venting, yeah, and Jenny and Barry Venting on, on a podcast isn't going to change that. It's going to take just as much a concerted effort to to deal with those small extremists before it does spread and before people do feel like they can't speak up because that's where it gets dangerous is if you're in a situation and you feel like you can't speak up then that spreads and then and then we all now we don't have books for kids to read so and and that those extremists are backed by the supermajority party the republicans mm -hmm. in this state so they're really not a band of insurgents. They are well organized and they have the backing of people who are going to run the state, who are running the state. And I would say that there are, I, and I don't completely agree with that because I think there are people in the Republican Party who disagree. I just want them to speak up more. I want them to be louder. I want them to say, this is not, you are not in my tent. And that's, that's what I'm pulling. I agree. Out. Yeah. That so. would be nice. Well, it's always fun with you, Barry. I hope people will write us, give us feedback. Um, we'll talk about anything and we could probably talk about this for a couple more hours, but you know, we got to end it somewhere. And he's I think it's good that we stay on these issues. It's not just one or the other. I think, I think we move from one to the other, sometimes too fast. Stay on issues. This stuff doesn't go away. See, this is why away. when we have lunch, it'll be like four hours. So this is- We know, should we just do the podcast at lunch. Oh, it'll, it'll never end. All right. Till next week, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.